0: Welcome to the In Plain Language Podcast. My name is Kelsey, and I'm the founder of Multi the Blue Tiger Bilingual Children's Books, found in homes and classrooms around the world. I'm truly so excited that you're here. You want your child's speech and language skills to thrive, which is exactly what this podcast will help make happen. Every other week, we'll be bringing you direct, tangible advice and tips about speech and language from top experts around the world. These are the language tools that will make an incredible difference in your child's life. Be sure to pick up your copy of *Multi the Blue Tiger, available in English and Spanish and English and French, on Amazon today to help your child learn new language skills and embrace their unique voice. There's no doubt that the internet is changing language. You know this if you've ever heard someone say, hashtag Winnie, or talk about cancel culture, or say, I stand that or express their feelings about FOMO, fear of missing out, JOMO, the joy of missing out, or even FOGI, the fear of joining in. You may even notice it when someone vocalizes something they might normally text, like an ellipsis or a confused face emoji, something that linguist Kristen Surrett, associate professor in the Department of Linguistics and the Center for Cognitive Science at Rutgers University, has noticed her undergraduate students doing. They'll mark the end of a question by saying question mark. Uh,
1: So I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but like they'll say things like, are you going to the party question mark? (laughs) And, and, um, you know, like, did you
0: eat that question mark? Her students are adding a level of disbelief and even bias by voicing the question mark, a type of language element that actually exists in other languages like Mandarin Chinese, but not in English. It just it kind of emerged on its own
1: um, in order to fulfill this um, communicative function. And so um, I love that you know I think that's that directly comes from texting. I, I would say that that comes from them communicating within a particular medium and then having that kind of trickle into their speech. Will that last? Probably not. It'll probably go away. Um, but it's fun while it's here.
0: Beyond new vocabulary, acronyms, and ways of structuring sentences, the internet has also resulted in hyperbolic speech. Take LOL, for instance. If you talk to people who have been using the internet for 20 years, LOL is simply an acronym for laughing out loud, as it originated. But as internet linguist Gretchen McCulloch points out in her new book, Because Internet, people later adapted the term to mean laughter for a very short period of time, or even to mean that something was kind of funny. Then, soon, it didn't even mean laughter at all, but was a way of either expressing irony or softening a message. For instance, if someone canceled on you and said, I'm so sorry, over text, you might respond with, OMG, no worries, LOL. Now, for the youngest group of people, there's no literal meaning left to LOL at all. It's a filler that typically indicates there's a double meaning involved. For instance, saying, I hate you, LOL. Over text is a way of saying, I'm just joking. But of course, double meaning isn't always a good thing. You've probably seen LOL be used in more sarcastic instances as well. Let's say someone cancels over text and their recipient is actually upset about it. They might respond with, That's cool, LOL, which is actually a way of saying, That's not cool at all. But laughing isn't the only thing we say we're doing when we're not. The hyperboles have strengthened to, OMG, literally dying, when something is mildly entertaining. Same goes for saying, that is the absolute cutest thing I've ever seen in my life, when a photo of something is mildly adorable. (laughs) Meanwhile, stan means an overzealous or obsessive fan of a particular celebrity. Think the words stalker and fan combined. And you may have seen this term pop up on Tumblr or Twitter recently. The term actually first appeared to describe people who have more than average loyalty than most fans after Eminem released the song Stan in 2000 about the horrific links an obsessed fan named Stan would go to. But as social media platforms allow more niche slang words like this to blow up, the phrase has risen from specific fandoms and become more mainstream. Now you might even hear someone saying they stan objects like a really good new flavor of kombucha. According to New York Times reporter Jessica Bennett, hyperboles are nothing new, but the internet has taken speech patterns and injected them with a dose of caffeine, likely because we need to now express emotion in bite-sized character bits in text or social media captions and comments. And often, that language we use on social media is meant for an audience, which means we're sort of performing in a way. That requires us to be interesting, and exaggeration is one way to achieve that. So yes. We can agree that the internet is changing language, but does that mean it's hurting it for the next generation? It's worth taking the types of conversations that have occurred throughout history whenever language does change into perspective, says Jeff Lids, professor of linguistics at the University of Maryland.
2: Every time a new technology is introduced, we hear about how it's going to ruin the minds of the next generation. So, you know, a few years ago, people were talking about how Google was rotting our minds and... When I was a kid, they talked about how TV was rotting our minds. And if you go back to the 30s, people talked about how radio was going to ruin the youth. And, you know, you can just keep going back probably all the way to the printing press. People are talking about anytime there's a new technology, they're talking about how um, it, it's destroying our intellectual capacities in some way or another. So, um, so in general, the, you know, the current fear about um, phones and tablets, it just is like another example of that same pattern.
0: So to get to the bottom of if the internet is actually harming language for the next generation, we can start by considering how language is actually acquired by kids in the earliest stages, says Surette.
1: So I would say that the same process of language acquisition is in place as it was 50 years ago or 100 years ago. Um, The internet hasn't changed the actual process by which children acquire language, and that is that... Um, they're taking advantage of all of that rich information that they're being exposed to, and they're looking for clues in that language about word meaning, about speaker intention, and so forth. So the Internet, I don't think, has changed anything about that process. That's a process that our brain is hardwired to engage in. Um, The way in which I think that the Internet, or media in general, has affected uh, children's language acquisition process is perhaps in the amount of time that children are spending engaged in, um, and I use that in a a loose sense, uh, passively engaged in um, getting information presented at them uh, via a screen or some kind of Auditory or visual mechanism instead of being engaged in communication with a live human being. And the benefit of interacting with another human is so much more rich than anything that the internet or media could possibly give you. So I don't think it's changed the process itself, but it's maybe in a way altered the amount of information and the nature of the information children are getting to learn about language and communication.
0: One Canadian study presented at the 2017 Pediatric Academic Society's meeting followed nearly 900 young children between six months and two years of age and found that toddlers who were exposed to more handheld screen time were more likely to have delayed expressive language skills, which is a fancy way of saying their ability to say words and sentences was delayed. In fact, every 30-minute increase in daily handheld screen time was correlated with a 49% increased risk of expressive language delay. According to Surrett, this might be because of what the screen time is replacing.
1: Well, it probably depends on the caregiver and the family itself. So if that kind of exposure is being used as a substitute for the real human interaction that would have taken place otherwise, then I do think it's detrimental because everything that we learn from interacting with another human being, especially someone who's in that caregiver role, be it a mom or a dad or um, an aunt or a grandparent, We learn so much from interacting with another human. There's a turn-taking between the individuals that tells you, I've asked a question, now it's time for you to answer. Or I've remarked on something, now it's time for you to give me a response or build off of that, right? So they're learning something about discourse coherence. They're learning something about when you stop, when you start, how you respond to certain aspects They're also getting a lot of information about gesture and eye gaze. We call that joint attention. When two speakers are looking at the same thing, if your mom motions at an object or looks at an object and presents a label um, and maybe holds that object up in ostension, like, hey, this is a cup, then that's a really great word learning experience. It's not the only kind that you have, but it's a great example you don't get the same kind of thing by just being shown a two-dimensional image on a screen (laughs) and hearing some passive voice in the background say cup. Um, So that, if it's a substitute for that kind of rich interaction, then it really isn't a positive um, kind of exposure um, relative to what you could be getting otherwise. But there might be other instances where that kind of rich interaction might not be happening. And so the internet is that maybe actually giving children additional information that they would not necessarily have been getting otherwise. Um, so it, I think it depends on the specific situation, perhaps also the socioeconomic
0: status of the family. Lids agrees that interactivity is crucial for language development.
2: Yeah, I'm sure it's the case that if kids spend all day doing nothing but staring at a tablet, that they're going to that's that time is going to be replacing time when they could be interacting with people. And um, it's that interacting with people that is the kind of primary driver of language acquisition.
0: That being said, as Surette mentioned, the internet can be used as a supplement to daily interaction to help with language skills too, especially if the content your child is watching, let's say on YouTube, is an educational resource. And again, it
1: does depend on what that... Uh, that media or that show or whatever it is, it depends on what that is, right? So if you have your child passively sitting in front of YouTube just strolling scrolling through video after video, then what you're giving them is a very passive experience where you're not monitoring the content and everything is changing every two, three, four, five minutes. And so it's not really helping their attention span. Um, but if you have them watching videos that are from you know PBS kids or um, you know some other kind of um, media that is geared towards children of a particular age, and there's some kind of moral or educational um, lesson to be had in that. I think that that is actually great at supplementing that interaction that children have with their caregivers. Um, because there could be messages in there about the environment, about the way we treat other people, about what we do or don't do with our hands and how we use kind language and so forth. They can be really helpful. Um, And, you know, not all of that was around when I was a child and I certainly made use of it as a parent. Um, So I, you know, I think, again, it really is about the way in which you use it I could say the same thing about books, you know, if I go into the public library, there are some books that are fantastic and others where I think, eh, I might not check that one out, you know, for my children. Um, So same thing holds about internet and, you know, media in general.
0: All of this said, what happens when your child grows older and they're exposed to language on the internet that intentionally breaks traditional English grammar rules? For instance, consider Doge, It's an internet meme that became popular nearly a decade ago, and you're familiar with it if you've seen memes of a dog with words scattered over the photo. If the meme was relating to this podcast episode, those phrases might include much science, wow, or very linguist. The text represents a type of internal thought or monologue and is intentionally written in broken English, as if the dog is thinking to themselves. But according to Saret, you probably don't have to worry that your child will pick up bad grammar from seeing mainstream memes or other intentionally incorrect language like this on the internet. That's because by the time they see them, they've already established patterns of language that are considered correct in their dialect.
1: One might think that you're learning these rules in a formal educational setting. Um, But I would say years before anyone even teaches you something about these rules in the classroom, you've already acquired them as a young language learner. So these rules about how you combine adjectives and nouns and have subject verb agreement are already in place in your mental grammar well before any teacher sets foot with a textbook in the classroom and tries to tell you these rules. So at age three, four, five, children already know something about when you use words like much and many, and whether I or not I say I sit versus he sits and so forth. Um, and these are not rules that their parents sat down and taught to them explicitly. The rules that they acquired, because again, their brain is hardwired to acquire this kind of information, and they're calculating really sophisticated statistical information over the exposure language that they're getting presented with. So as the speech stream comes in, they're segmenting it, and then they're getting enough information to determine how the language that they're learning marks pluralization or marks A count noun versus a mass noun and how you form the past tense of verbs and so forth. That's information that they have to acquire on their own. So in order to truly appreciate doge, you have to have all of those rules in place. And I think even a young child who hasn't been taught that in the classroom gets how funny that is. They may not be able to explain it in a way that an adult can, but they they understand um, not only why it's funny, but how you can combine um, certain words together in order to construct that kind of language. So I would say, no, I'm not really worried about them going around and thinking that they should combine words in this way because they probably wouldn't have that like, trickle into their regular speech. Those, those combinations, like much warning, um, that's so, when you hear that, you think, wow, that is really not supposed to go together, Right. Um, And maybe you can't say, oh, that's because we don't measure mourning in that way, and much is a quantity term that combines with some kind of substance or quantity and, you know, and so forth. But children know that, and they're not going to go around um, having that be part of the way that they talk and measure out quantities and um, present measurement expressions in their language. So I'm not worried about that. Um, And in fact, I think if you gave children a forced choice between um, Doge that kind of obeyed the rules of Doge and Doge that didn't, I think they probably could detect the difference, which shows that they know that there are certain rules um, for that particular kind of context.
0: If you think about it, kids have been exposed to intentionally incorrect language far before memes or the iPad came along. Consider, for instance, the Cookie Monster from Sesame Street and how he might say, me so excited, or me love cookies. And it's just a funny part of the show. Plus, here's a big benefit of the internet in terms of language. It exposes kids to a wider range of dialects than they normally would be exposed to and shows them the beauty in all of the different ways in which we speak.
1: There's uh, a lot of really cool research that's happening Uh, right now on young children's ability to detect accents. And on the one hand, um, whether or not they do a very good job at differentiating between different accents, um, different pronunciations of vowels and consonants. And on the other hand, um, with children who are a little bit older, um, how these accents um, might affect the kind of trustworthiness or in-group out-group status of the individual. Um, And so it seems to me that the more children are exposed to different dialects, the more they realize that there is this cross-linguistic diversity, not just across languages, but within a particular language. And if they hear um, all of these dialects, they might actually Um, being presented with an opportunity to realize that there's not just one standard dialect. Um, So, you know, for a long time, people would talk about the standard, you know, American English dialect. And then we've got some other ones like Appalachian English or Southern English or African American vernacular English and so forth. Um, But really, we just have a lot of dialects within our language. And so the more that children are exposed to this, the more they might realize that there isn't one standard one. Um, that even within within one particular language, we have a lot of diversity. And each of those dialects has a set of rules that go with them. So um, even if they don't seem to be obeying the rules that the child is acquiring in their own dialect, every single one of them has a set of rules, has a grammar. Uh, So I think it's a great opportunity for them to see that people speak different ways um, and uh they
0: write different ways. So all of this is to say, is the internet helping or hurting kids' language? Experts tend to agree that our language is simply changing and that's not a bad thing, as long as the internet doesn't replace the natural types of interactive conversation that encourages language acquisition. The internet may even be pushing us to be more inventive, creative, and innovative in our language, which makes right now an incredibly exciting time for the English language. It's encouraging kids to get creative and play with language to best fit their needs," says Saret.
1: This kind of um, inventiveness with um, even low-level aspects of language, like the morphosyntax, what we would call the like little building blocks of language, um, which you see in in Doge um, and in other in other kind of uh, fun memes, and I think that um, the the kind of inventiveness that you see with language at that level is something that has trickled down to children. They see that you can play with language in this fun way. Um, I don't see them using language in a way that I think, oh my gosh, what language is that? (laughs) You know, I don't recognize it. Um, But I think I see them playing around with language um, and using expressions in a way that kind of uh, marks um, trends. It's pretty remarkable.
0: We'll be back with a new episode of In Plain Language in two weeks. In the meantime, if you can write a review or subscribe to the podcast, that is light to everyone who works so hard to produce and contribute to each and every episode. We'll be featuring some of your reviews here, so stay tuned. For more language inspiration and tips, follow Multi the Blue Tiger on social media and be sure to pick up your copies of the book available in English and Spanish or English and French on Amazon today to give the kids in your life the incredible gift of language and confidence in their unique voices.